We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Look, setting the pace with Alex and Fauci. Alex and Fauci, Alex and Alex. If I put our jacks in the paint, how you gonna stop me? How you gonna stop me? We can go head to head. Call out your top three, call out your top three. Look at the switch from Buddy here. Now that boy got three. We got Holly Burton running point. This is the Benedict for the shot. If anybody gon' come in the post, then we got Miles Turner for the block. Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We gon' need a mop. Smooth. Pacer Nation, what is going on? It is your boy Mike Fauci here bringing you another episode of Setting the Pace. We have a very special guest uh, filling in for Alex today who will not be here. His name is Richard Stamen. You might know him on Twitter, at MavsDraft. He also uh, does NBA Big Board or Locked On NBA Big Board uh, a few times a week. Rafael Barlow breaking down some of the best prospects in this draft year-round. But I have Richard on because Richard had Benedict Matherin on his all-rookie second team, and you know what? I just couldn't stand for it. I had to reach out to him, had to invite him to come on setting the pace. He was more than happy to come on, and we were able to talk about his all-rookie teams, who he likes for the Pacers in this draft, and also we reflect on Benedict Matherin, Andrew Nimhart, who could be some of the biggest risers in the draft from now until June, who were maybe some of the biggest disappointments and who he views as some of the future all-stars in this draft and much, much more. So you guys know, I mean, it's that time of the year right now. We're basically two months out from the draft. I could not be more excited about the endless potential of who's coming to the Pacers. Last draft, I would say that was one of the best drafts any of us have ever seen bringing in for the Pacers, of course, bringing in Benedict Matherin, Andrew Nimhart remains to be seen for Kendall Brown. But regardless, the Pacers have even more 
draft picks this year. So anything could happen. But let me get out of your way, and I'm bringing on Richard. All right, everybody, we are back, and we are joined by a very special guest. He is uh, no newcomer to setting the pace, but he's coming back on. It's Richard Stamen. You might know him on uh, Twitter, at MavsDraft. Richard, what's going on? Hey, man. It's uh, good to be on here. Obviously, I come in after a uh, rather scorching hot take, for especially for your market, but I'm excited to uh, to talk about it. You know, Richard, you got to understand, us Pacer fans, we don't <laughs> get much coverage on TV. So when, you know, when someone talks about the Pacers, our ears perk up. And that's exactly where I think we should start. Because you were talking about your all-rookie first and second teams. Now, to many other fan bases, hey, they might have said that. Okay, cool. Yeah, I agree with that. When we saw Benedict Matherin on that second team, we had a bit of a gripe with you. Now, the one thing I'd say, the closest comparison maybe is Jaden Ivey versus Benedict Matherin. Just walk me through your process because, look, there's there's no being wrong. Everyone's entitled to their own opinion. We'd just love to hear it from you. Yeah, so first of all, I actually do predict that Jaden Ivey will get the first team nod, which I think is going to be an unbelievably close race. Like, I mean, I think it's going to be 50, 60% vote for uh, one guy and 40% vote for the other. I could see it flipping because Matherin, like, I, I know it's easy to say recency bias, but I mean, Ivey has just been phenomenal. I think really since the, the turn of the calendar going to January, it was almost entirely about him and i didn't realize when i posted it because the the issue i did i did this to myself i quoted my last tweet from two weeks prior brian matherin first team and i realized it made it look like oh well these last two weeks and i actually didn't even watch most of the pistons the last two weeks it had nothing to do with that it was more i did my research of hey i'm looking at the stats things like that and it really hurt that matherin had to be the guy who falls because i was actually like one of the very highest on him on draft twitter so i, I actually like him i have a matherin shirt i should have worn it uh on here so i am a matherin fan i want to clear that up i just i think ivy edged him out for really what he did over the last three months of the season and that's that's kind of where i think both players have a good debate because look if you want to look at the full picture matherin you know had let up you know between the two of them had more points per game more rebounds higher field goal percentage in less minutes on a team that won twice as many games but Matherin really started hot for the beginning of the year, was, you know, I would say a consensus top two rookie for a decent amount of the year. And then the back half of the year is really where, like you mentioned, turn of, uh, you know, December, January and on, Ivy definitely picked his play up where Matherin's usage rate did go down. So it, it definitely does run into a, you know, more of a recency bias could point to Jaden Ivy, but for the beginning of the, of the season, it's just I want Benedict Matherin to get that respect where it's like this guy was was being used so much more in the beginning of the season and only got to start, I want to say, about 17 games compared to Jay Nivey where, who logged 70-plus starts. So uh, it is interesting, but can you also run through who was maybe on your first team as well as second team? Yeah, so my I, I don't have a – very luckily for a lot of Pacers fans, I do not have an official vote in the NBA. Yes. Uh, but my first team vote would have been Paolo Boncaro. I mean, he's my rookie of the year. I, I don't think that's a hot take by any means. Jalen Williams, Keegan Murray, Walker Kessler, and Jaden Ivey. I do think, I think Keegan's going to be there. I think individually you can make a really strong argument that uh, Benedict Matherin met or exceeded his standards for, or his season, excuse me. Uh, but I do think just being the Sacramento, the the fairy tale season they've had is going to get him there as well. And also, like you said, the winning team, it, it really, he was one of the better players on that team. So that's why I put him there. And then the second team, I had Matherin, 
Jeremy Sohan, Jalen Duran, um, Andrew Nemhard, and Shaden Sharp, which uh, we'll get to in a bit, but I really don't understand why Andrew Nemhard has no hype around him. I know, and and I, I hate that. I wonder if part of it is because, you know, being a second-round pick, I feel like, and a guy that was in college for four years, it wasn't like one of the, the one-and-dones or maybe a player like Shaden Sharp where there was so much surrounding him of the unknown coming into the year, and I think that when people got to see him, it was really exciting. And now it's another player who finished the year really strong, but Andrew Nemhart by all means, exceeded expectations, I think was the steal of the draft, uh, definitely by draft position. I think that's a no-brainer. But Nemhard in the second team, definitely something that I, I really want to see. I feel that he deserves that. And this was a guy that felt like was making winning plays all season. It's hard to see in a box score because the Pacers' defense was it was atrocious this year. But he was one of the few players who was really buying in to the defensive side of the ball. So very happy that you gave Nemhard his shine over there. What were your expectations for Nemhard coming into this season? You know, I was a little bit shocked that he was this good this fast. I mean, the three-point percentage for the year being 35% was really shocking. This is a guy who just three, four years ago, I would say was a non-shooter at Florida. And then when he got to Gonzaga, it gradually got better. But it was still to the point where you're like, how quickly can this actually adapt to him shooting over contest? And then he's hitting game winners. I forget who it is against. I, I wanted to Lakers. say Golden State. It was the Lakers. That's right. I, yeah, I saw the Golden State game. They won by more than three points. So it couldn't have been them. But you look at things like that and you're like, well, clearly he's fine. And ever since then, I mean, the three-point shot never settled down. His game was very steady paced coming into the NBA and he translated that way. I mean, he became a floor general with room to improve. Like, that's really impressive. I, I think the last, I think it was three weeks of the season, th two, three weeks. I mean, he got double-digit points in every single game. He's averaging 15 and 8. And yeah, I get it. It's not, it's the end of the year. Teams are resting. But you don't stumble upon, like, just walk into 15 and 8 on really good efficiency and from three. Exactly. So he definitely saw an uptick once Tyrese Halliburton was shut down, but also managed to be more than just a backup point guard, even with Halliburton out there. He played very well off the ball, really good on the ball. So I, I just felt like he was uh, he was a favorite of Coach Carlisle. So I'm really excited to see what he does in year two. But now moving on to this year's draft, Victor Weminyama, number one, that has never been in question. I mean, I, I think everybody's excited to see you know, what Victor has in store. But the number two pick, Scoot Henderson versus Brandon Miller, that seems to kind of go back and forth depending on who you talk about. I did not watch the G League this much uh, compared to college basketball, which I'm a big fan of. Uh, but you tell me, Scoot Henderson, Brandon Miller, who deserves to go number two? <laughs> hey, I, I'll tell you, you you missed. I wish I sometimes didn't get have to watch college basketball because it is a terrible product to watch live. That's I watch it all on demand for that reason, unless I'm at the game. It is, it is not a pretty product. That being said, to answer the question, I think Scoot Henderson's the guy. You look at every team needs that guard who – he can just be that floor raiser, right? You look at an explosive floor general, three-level scoring upside guard who probably plays good defense given his frame. It's hard to tell with the G League. I think it's Scoot Henderson. What's interesting to me, though, is I think the Combine will clear this a lot of this up, and it's not because neither of them are playing. That's not where this gets cleared up, but the intel comes out of the Combine. Teams talk to each other. Teams are talking to big, big people outside of the organizations like Draft Express, things like that. But where it'll really come out is you know, did Brandon Miller doing nothing in the NCAA tournament hurt him or no? Because right now it hasn't. So I'm interested to see what happens there. That's a great point because I really did think that was going to have an impact. He went scoreless in round one. Scoreless. Yeah. 
for the number two pick, number three, you don't see that. And then also struggles from the field in what you can make an argument as the most meaningful games of the season. It was when they got bounced in or the, the final game that they played in the SEC tournament, uh, his first round, second round. It, it was just not good. I, I want to say might have been like six of 18 shooting against Maryland, something of that sort. Whatever it was, he struggled on the biggest stage, which is when I feel uh, the most fans were watching. So obviously he's got a whole body of, of work from freshman year. Dude, so you don't want to just go, go off of a few games, but I was really glued in and excited to watch Brandon Miller in March Madness, and I was let down. Um, but we'll leave that to the pros. Uh, now, moving over to the Pacers again. This is a team projected to have the best lottery odds for this seventh or eighth overall pick. It'll come down to a coin flip. Um, with, say the Pacers are picking seventh. Who do you like them to take? So before I answer that, one last thing on Brandon Miller. He was playing hurt. He did have a groin injury. So I do cut him some slack, but still, again. So to answer your question, though, uh, at seven or eight, there's several guys I really like. Selfishly, uh, you know, with the Mavs having the 10th pick, I prefer you guys not to take Taylor Hendricks. I really do like him a lot, but I think he'd be a great fit in Indianapolis. I mean, he fits every single team perfectly just being that three and d he can protect the rim he can guard the perimeter he can shoot he can pass he can score it at the rim uh, especially off of cuts he's just a dream ceiling racer guy and so is jairus walker he's somebody else who i really like just being that you know he may, may not be much of a great shooter but he's going to do almost every other thing on the floor at a very high level i think if you get one of those two guys to plug and play right away you're looking at a big ceiling raise from a rookie in either of those guys for indiana yeah, no doubt about it. The Pacers are looking. They, they they have a need at the the wing spot. You know, three four position. That's really where I think they're going to drill into. Uh, another player that is rumored to or projected to be in that area is Cam Whitmore. What do you like about Cam Whitmore's game? Yeah, he's an interesting prospect because his defense is a little bit behind where you want it to be right now, given his tools, but. You know, he's still learning. I think that's something where the tools will eventually get there to make him a positive defender, but. I like his shooting. He's a great shooter over closeouts, both off the dribble and catch and shoot. He's shown a little bit of creation ability. And again, if he can defend, it's such a simple outline, but that two-way, a little bit creation wing, that's one of the most valuable archetypes you can have in this league. And that's always been what the superstars are made of. So that's why he has such high upside. And he's still 18, if I'm not mistaken, or 19. He's, he's young. Yep. So, I mean, these are all three freshmen. Um, so it, it is an exciting time. And that's kind of been the direction of the draft now is I, I don't think you're going to find uh, really an upperclassman anywhere near the lottery. Um, I, I could be wrong on that. But last I checked, that's exactly how it was. Uh, but out of the three of those, I mean, the first name that you mentioned was Taylor Hendricks. Drace Walker is expected to go before Taylor Hendricks. Obviously, anything could change. But out of the three names that we talked about, who do you feel has the best NBA career ahead of him? I have Cam Whitmore ranked the highest just because, look, if all three of those guys hit their ceiling, I don't know if Jairus Walker's ever that true, like, you think of him as an all-star. His mm -hmm. impact is going to be all-star level. I'm pretty confident on that. Taylor Hendricks, kind of the same thing, but, you know, he could be an elite role player. I truly do think Cam Whitmore could be one of your first two options on a playoff team. And to me, that's where it's just a valuable thing where you have to have that that upside as a creator, defender, and off-ball player. All three as a wing, you're an absolute matchup nightmare. Well, that obviously says a lot because you're talking about a team with an all-star in Tyrese Halliburton, a potential future all-star in Benedict Matherin. So that uh, that definitely would have Pacer Nation pretty excited. Um, I'd say, you know, 
who's been maybe the biggest draft riser since the start of college basketball. There's always one of those players that you really didn't anticipate being drafted as high as he is. And then boom, here we go. Someone, uh, you know, shocked the world. Yeah. There's two guys that I've seen explode on my boards that I never thought would. And they're actually both sophomores. So first one is Kobe Bufkin at Michigan. He's a guy who he came in as a shooting guard last year, learned to play point guard on the fly this whole season. And he got a lot better at it. I've moved him into my lottery rankings. I think he's going to be really good. He has almost no holes in his game. He may not do any one thing great, but he's going to do a lot of good things at a very good level. And I think that's important. And then also Jordan Hawkins. We watched the NCAA tournament where Connecticut cruised through the tournament. And he was a big reason why. Just lights out shooter. There's abilities. People you know, are, are confident in him growing into a bit more of an on-ball player. And there's some defensive upside. It's a little bit... Uh, polarizing on that end his defense but there is something there to work with those are two guys who I could both see going top 20 that nobody even had on their draft radars kind of a flip side of, the, of that type of question is who's maybe been the biggest disappointment in regards to expectations for any one and done player that is entering the draft this season yeah it's got to be uh I would say Derek Lively even though he still could go lottery his season was rough he was the number one recruit and he struggled to average I mean, it's a little bit of a weird stat because it's still two seasons, but he averaged six and five. Like, that's just not enough. Yeah. And, and you know, he had a couple blocks there, but it just wasn't dominant like he really could have been. And at times, he was a little bit passive, things like that. So he's probably the one answer, but he still is going to go first round. Another name that comes to mind when I think of a player that there was a lot of hype around that oh, didn't really back it up was Gigi Jackson. I uh, still think it's someone who gets drafted at, at a, a good spot in the first round, but I felt expectations were higher. What's your thoughts on Gigi as a pro? Yeah, I so from all accounts, I've heard he's actually a really good kid. He's a little bit, you know, he's, how do I put it, inexperienced with being an independent adult. Like, he started college at 17 years old. He was playing the first month of the season at 17. So, like, that's not an easy adjustment, but... The way I see it is, look, you have a 6'8", 6'9", maybe 6'10", forward who can easily create for himself. He's really good on defense when he's engaged. I mean, he was the Peach Jam defensive player of the tournament last year. He reclassified, so he's still going over this learning curve, and he can shoot. If every player in this draft hit their upside, I don't know if you can find three better players than him. So that's like how good he can be. He's got to kind of mature and become an adult, become a professional. That's probably where the the big obstacles come for him, not even necessarily the on-court abilities. That's a good point you made about, you know, being 17 years old, going into college. I mean, I was 17 going into college, but I had far less expectations than a guy like Gigi Jackson. Then you think of Jermaine O'Neal, 17 years old, getting drafted to the NBA. It's just, it's something that a lot of people cannot ever expect until you're in the moment of how you're going to react. So definitely the, the guy uh, has a, a lot of years ahead of him where I think that that's where veterans come in. And I think on the next level, a lot of people could teach him how to be a pro. But going back to the Pacers, this is a team that could be looking at, depending how the coin flips, uh, the 25th overall pick, 29th overall pick, and perhaps 32nd overall pick, depending on what happens with the Rockets and Spurs. Uh, are there any first round sleepers or good fits for the Pacers that you would recommend? I'd say factoring our defense was pretty rough last year. Yeah. So obviously what I like about Indiana this year is that they have four, uh, I, I call them four first round picks. I know that's yeah. not official, but they have Houston's pick. That's the 32nd pick. And generally, weirdly enough, they're, the hit rate 
from like 24, 23 to 30 is somehow it's like less or equal depending on, you know, each year it changes than 30 through 35. So they basically got four first round picks. They have four chances to get it right. Even if you only hit on two of those guys, it could be really a big upside. Uh, I would say if you're looking at that range, Maxwell Lewis from Pepperdine is a guy who just has a complete offensive game. He's learning to play defense. He's a sophomore, uh, could have probably gone to a higher major program and excelled, but he chose to stay at Pepperdine. He's really good. I also really like if you, you're looking more for defense because Maxwell Lewis needs to learn defense. If you're trying to get the defensive guy, I would go with Ryan Repair from France. He played in the NBL's Next Stars program. He's seven, he's excuse me, six seven with a seven three wingspan, has point guard skills. The shot's a work in progress, but he's been working on it every single day. He's actually training in Dallas and getting a chance to see him soon. So I'm excited for that. But he's somebody who it just feels like that frame will not allow him to fail. So one of those 20s picks or even 32, I don't, I don't think he'll be there in the second round, but one of those 20 picks you could easily get him for. Love it. Well, one guy that I got to bring up because my co-host, Alex, he's falling in love with him. That's Chris Murray, uh, Keegan's brother. <laughs> uh, I'm seeing Chris Murray start to climb his way into, you know, the first round over, over the last few weeks or so. I've definitely noticed that, um, you know, kind of pushing towards maybe in the 20s. What are your thoughts on Chris Murray making that step? He is a junior, um, so a little bit more of a seasoned guy in this draft compared to, you know, some of the top picks. Yeah, so with Chris Murray, I think he's actually one of the older guys too because he's 22, but mm -hmm. he's he's definitely a high-floor guy. And my I host a community mock draft every week, and Alex is in it for the Pacers this week, and he did, in fact, take Chris Murray. I was laughing so hard, like, of course. So with Chris Murray, he's asked to do a lot of really what his brother was doing, Keegan, last year as the first option. That's not his game. He's not nearly as smooth at it. He's he's more of an off-ball traditional 3 and D guy. And I think that fits with Indiana. I mean, you already have a lot of on-ball guys that can create, not necessarily just a guard, but I mean, Benedict Matherin is somebody that's going to eventually step into that role in a high level. Chris Murray fits next to everybody off-ball. I think he's he's a good really good way to help your year one defense okay now you know i mentioned before not really watching too much g league the last couple of years have definitely they've put out some great pros in the g league or top 10 picks you, know, you got your jalen greens your jonathan kamingas dyson daniels all all uh guys that were were top 10 picks um this past season i mean you're talking about the thompson twins and and a few other players obviously uh scoot henderson i mean Tell me about the Thompson Twins and, and what you noticed about their game because those are both expected to be, I'd say, top five, top seven picks in this draft. Yeah, they're interesting. So I'll I'll start with contextualizing it. The intel I've heard is that they're very hard workers, which goes a long way in this league. I mean, we've, we've heard the unbelievably cliche thing of, you know, hard, works, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. All that has some truth. I think it's, you know, obviously cliche, but... The Thompson Twins work really hard. While they are facing high school competition and overtime elite right now, and they're 20 years old, they're actually five months older than Mike Miles, who's a junior in college, which is just wild to contextualize that. There are concerns about that. With each of them, I, I'm higher on Amen because I think he's a pure point guard at 6'7 with unbelievable exp explosiveness, great feel for the game, and he's a good defender. Yes, he needs to work on his shot. We've seen point guards succeed without a jump shot. So that's not the worst thing. Now, his twin, Asar Thompson, he has a little bit more concerns. I still think he'll be good because I had a coach at Overtime Elite tell me he's the best defender he's ever coached in his life. Wow. And that's high praise. So I think when you think about things like that, 
his defense is going to stick. He's also got the passing chops where he sees plays. His weakness, though, is that he just cannot create in the half-court setting, and it really negates that passing ability. So for me, maybe that changes with a more organized offense, but if you're not able to do it against overtime elite, which is considered high school plus competition, it's going to be hard to do that day one in the NBA. Obviously, the G League is very much picking up in popularity for you know lottery potential picks and everything of that sort, but to the point that you mentioned before, do you think it's preparing them as well as perhaps college competition did? Or do you think we're also going to see, you know, people going over to the NBL and things like that? So how do you think the G League competition stacks up against the rest? Yeah, I I personally, I'm all in on the G League Ignite. I think they, by all accounts, it's just a great environment to groom guys to be professionals. Like professionals first and basketball players second, and it goes a long way. I mean, Jaden Hardy on the Mavs was a member of the G League Ignite, and his ability, his maturity was on display. Like everybody who has gone through in the two years, now three years that it's been, has found some sort of a home. There's only been one guy, I think, that was like a true prospect that hasn't hit, and that was Isaiah Todd. Everyone else, even though Dacian Nix is a, a, he's not very good in Houston right now, he still has a spot in the rotation. They have high floors. I think the program's great. And personally, if it was me deciding between Australia and the G League, I mean, already the Ignite in three years has a much better resume than the NBL has in like five years. Oh, definitely. Um, And to your point on Isaiah Todd, I definitely remember that of seeing, you know, this was a guy that had solid expectations. And then, you know, obviously you look at Jaden Hardy. That was someone who I thought it was almost criminal where he got drafted. I mean, I, I thought that was a guy that had top-level talent that really slid in the draft big time. And he put up some – he had some really nice games this year. So hopefully that that shows that people need to put that respect on the G League because I'm still one of them where I'm like, I'm a little bit hesitant. And I know there's a lot of talent over there. So – uh, I need to pay more attention to the G League in future years because that's where more of the pros are, are coming from year for year. Uh, now, who do you view as perhaps one or the two of the highest risers in the draft from March Madness to now? We talked about from you know beginning of the college season maybe until then, but from March Madness until June, who do you think will be some of those players that can really up their stock? Yeah, I think Leonard Miller, speaking of the G League Ignite, is somebody that's going to do that. He, I don't know how he's fell under the radar because last year he was the mystery box kind of prospect at 6'10", kind of a creator, but super raw, looked completely overmatched in the combine scrimmage last year. And now he torched the G League for a good portion of the season. So I think he's somebody who is just going to explode it from the combine and forward. His shot's still a work in progress, but everything else is there. I think he's probably the best candidate. I would say if there's anyone else, I mean, just looking at my board, I think it's him. Noah Clowney could be a guy from Alabama who I think his rise is already starting, though, where he's a stretch big and he can defend multiple positions and defend the rim. It's just such a valuable archetype that I could see him rising. Yeah, it's funny that you brought up um... – Leonard Miller, because that's someone that I've been intrigued with since last year when he was testing the NBA waters. Uh, that's someone 6'8", 7'2", wingspan. I mean, there's a lot to like. I've seen uh, on some draft boards, they have him pretty much early second round. So you think that's someone who creeps up into the first round? Because if so, you're talking about the Pacers with the 25th, the 26th pick and the 29th pick. Do you feel that's in the range that he goes or do you think higher? I actually would be kind of shocked if he was available by 20. I mean, he's young. Wow, okay. He's so. got that size, the combination. He did really well in the G League. 
just go making that jump from super raw to like kind of raw is a massive, a massive difference. And I know that sounds like nothing, but I, I think he's going to be a top 20 guy. I, I love it. Now, the Pacers could have as many as five draft picks. And I know that sounds like the best problem to have, but the Pacers only have three unrestricted free ages and they're already a really young and promising team with an average age of 23. But if you take off guys like James Johnson and George Hill, you're looking at an extremely young team. Um, It's a crowded backcourt out of five draft picks. What do you think is perhaps the right number for the Pacers in order to be able to get these guys playing time? Uh, Man, I would say if you have more than two, you're doing something like along the lines of, they're probably consolidated 26 and 29 or even in 32 to move up to like 20 or 20, probably higher than that, but 17, wherever it is, right. Somewhere in that range, that's probably a good outcome is if you do that. And then, Hey, you want to keep that the end of second round pick and, and get the, get an international guy and stash him. That's fine. I'd say generally take two guys that can contribute and you put them on the roster. You can probably stash somebody. The international scene kind of starts to come up right about now where these guys, like the, once the deadline comes up, that's when teams can truly research. There's too many international players before then. Um, so I think two current rostered players plus a stash is probably the sweet spot. I like it. Um, now, my last question before we wrap up, is basically when you look at this draft, and obviously everybody has a different view years from now, but for right now in this moment, who do you view as potential all-star level players coming out of this draft? Man, I'm so high on so many different players that there's there's obviously like no number of of players I think could get it, but generally a really good draft class. I don't even think gets five all stars in any one. It's it's pretty rare to have that many. Um, I would say Victor Wembanyama and Scoot have very strong cases. I think you're looking at one of Brandon Miller and Amen Thompson. If Cam Whitmore hits his ceiling, he's right up there. I would say Gigi Jackson, same thing, and. I'll take a shot in the dark here. If this guy hits his upside, he could probably be there. And that's Dariq Whitehead. Uh, He's somebody who he's being mocked in the twenties, not uncommon for guys that late to get to be all-stars. And with him, he had an injury plague season at Duke uh, last this whole year with a foot injury, back to back foot injuries, I should say, but his three level scoring ability from high school was very real. He showed enough flashes of it. He was an outstanding shooter and there's some hidden defensive potential there. He added some weight with the foot injuries. Anybody who's had a lower body injury knows, you know, it's really hard to keep off weight when you can't be on your feet. So I think that's something where he could have some upside in disguise from that. So I think he's probably the biggest dark horse candidate outside of that consensus top 10 to be an all-star. I love it. So one thing that they kicked around a while ago, I want to say it might've been Richard Jefferson, but they, Richard Jefferson basically said, that LeBron James would be the number two pick in this draft behind Victor Wembanyama. Do you believe that? It's so hard to say it because knowing what we know now, if, there's two things. One, oh, yeah, LeBron James was in the U.S., which is always going to shape how teams evaluate. And two, it's different because also the way centers were viewed back then. I think if you put him in, if you put Wembanyama in 03, they might have taken him number one because I, I think they would have done that then. But we're talking right now. And I think if it was now, you still take LeBron because, granted, he did have shooting concerns. That was something people thought about. Wyman Yama doesn't have that. I'm going still LeBron. And it is probably hindsight bias knowing that he is the, the top three player ever. But Wyman Yama has the potential to meet and exceed that. I mean, we've never seen a center, or I should say a seven 
three-plus guy. I mean, Porzingis was really rare eight years ago. And we've never seen anybody do what he can do. Dribble, defend at any level. He's not a liability. Pass and shoot. We've just never seen this combination of a big man ever. And that's why he's so unprecedented. I completely agree. I mean, I'm all in. It really feels that, hey, if, if Victor can stay healthy, it just feels like this could be one of the next greats. Uh, so I'm excited about that. But Richard, I think one of my main takeaways is you really got me excited about Brandon Miller. I was already a big fan, but now I definitely need him on the Pacers. And Cam Whitmore, I'm very, very intrigued by. But as we wrap up, please tell everybody where they could find you at again on social media. Some of the awesome content that you're putting out. Appreciate that. Uh, yeah, at Mavs Draft is the hub on Twitter. Uh, I've started doing stuff on Instagram as well, NBA Draft Film. That's just purely video analysis. I can go into more detail on there, which I like a lot more because Twitter has character limits. Instagram doesn't have reachable ones. And then I do Locked On NBA Big Board uh, with Rafael Barlow uh, generally twice a week. So Awesome. Love me some Rafael. It's been a while, been about a year since he's been on the show. So you'll have to send my regards. But, Richard, I definitely appreciate you coming back on. We'll have to have you back on maybe uh, right around draft time or so. Appreciate it. All right. That was a lot of fun. Shout out to Richard, a.k.a. Mavs Draft, coming on. Um, always want to bring on the experts as it relates to breaking down these prospects because, look, there's a lot of a lot of potential in this draft. And, you know, rather than give you – just a general overview. I want to bring on the guys that have been studying these prospects year round. Endless potential for the Pacers at what could be the seventh pick, could it be the eighth? Maybe. Maybe if we're lucky. Maybe we're picking top four. I don't know. But what I will tell you is that I don't think there's a team more due for good luck than the Indiana Pacers. Never forget last year when they did the mock lottery, the practice round, whatever you want to call it. The Pacers slid up to number two, and then they did the real thing, and the Pacers slid back from number five to six. So that hurt. That's why I think we're due. But if you want to give us a follow, we'd really appreciate it. You could find us on Twitter, at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter, at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter, at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You could find us on Instagram, at PacersTalk. You can find us on Facebook, at setting the pace. You can find us on TikTok at setting the pace. You can find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash setting the pace of Pacers podcast. And at the end of the day, if you can't wait for the NBA to get their coin flips over with so we can see where we're picking, then hit me with a let's go Pacers! Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We gonna need a mop. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. 
Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.